0: I don't know if you really know the story of St. Patrick uh, for the Irish, and he, he was English actually, and he, it's, a, it's a great story, but uh, the fact is he w- went to, into Ireland to bring the gospel, the good news, and the love of Christ. So enjoy today if you're eating corned beef and cabbage. What's your hot topic? It's the title of this message this morning. I love the word profound, and when I hear it, It has great meaning for me. It, it, its essence is something that uh, is, has great depth. Coming from the depths of one's being, absolutely, it's an absolute. One of the most profound and penetrating statements that ever came out of the lips of Christ was in John 13, 34, and 35, when he said this, Love one another even as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want you to notice what he didn't say and 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 let those words sink in even a little deeper. He didn't say people will know that you're my disciples by how much you digest and know the word of God. He didn't say people will know you're my disciples if you fast once a week or attend every conference and seminary held in the area, or even give your time, your talent, or your treasures, or even if you have various supernatural spiritual gifts. He said that people will know you're my disciples. It's how much you love one another. All that we do and all that we are within the body of Christ, it all comes down to this. The real test... The real essence of our faith is how much you and I can love each other, how much we can get beyond each other's differences, prejudices, scars. It, it, all, it all comes down to that, that we can look beyond the other to the core of each other's beings and love each other like crazy. That, 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 that's the point. All these things I mentioned are really important, and they happen in our lives as we go in Christ, As we grow in Christ. But the world will not be drawn to signs and wonders and miracles. It will be drawn to people like you and I. Loving each other and helping each other through life. I have a definition of the church that a lot of people don't like. But I really do believe that it's true. If we're gut honest this morning, we're all messed up. And we need God and each other to get through life. That's my definition of the church. And it all comes down to this agape love that's unconditional, that the Holy Spirit uh, produces within the life of the follower of Christ. We're the only humans on the planet that can experience agape love because it comes from God and it's Holy Spirit inspired. And we get back to the Corinthians who are people like us, so to speak, but that was the problem. They had not this love in their church, and it was causing major issues. So the issue Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 8 is Christian liberty in relation to meat sacrifice to idols, which sounds foreign to us. Let me read this lengthy passage. Bear with me. 1 Corinthians 8, follow along. Now let's talk about food that's been sacrificed to idols. You think that everyone should agree with your perfect knowledge? See, that's another thing. The Corinthians had an ego problem. They thought they were smarter. They thought they were more spiritual. And they were above above everybody else. And everybody else within the kingdom was down here. That was a huge problem that Paul reiterated over and over. While knowledge may make us feel important, it is love that really builds up the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the, is the one God knows and cares for. So now what about it? Should we eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a God and that there's only one God and no other. According to some people, there are so many so-called gods and many lords, both in heaven and on earth, but we know that there is only one God, the Father who created everything and we exist for him, and there is only one Lord Jesus Christ through whom God made everything and through whom we have been given life. However, not all Christians realize this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real, so when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of real gods and their weak consciences are violated. It's time that we it's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't miss out on anything if we don't eat it and we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful with this freedom of yours. Do not cause a brother or sister with a weaker conscience to stumble. You see this is what can happen. We Christians who think it is wrong to eat this food will see you eating in the temple of the idol, an idol. You know there's nothing wrong with it, but they will be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been dedicated to the idol. So because of your superior knowledge, a weak Christian for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And you are sinning against Christ when you sin against other Christians by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong. If what I eat is going to make another Christian sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to make another Christian stumble. And here was the cultural problem. The hot issues in the Corinthian church weren't rather to go to certain movies or to buy lottery tickets, or to drink a glass of wine or a beer with supper. That wasn't the issue. They were worried about the correction of eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. If you know anything about Corinth, there there were temples to other gods scattered around the city, actually quite a few of them. Well, I don't know if they borrowed this from the Jewish faith, from Judaism or whatever, but they, they sacrificed animals to their God, and they would cut pieces of this animal up and burn it on the altars. But whatever meat was left, they would, the priest would eat it. Uh, probably that would be like me and Tebow Stinks and you guys eating sausage or something. I, I don't know, two different animals, but that was the point. But the, what they had left over, they'd take it out, or you could go into the temple and buy it. Well, here's the sticky situation in that. These new believers didn't understand that because the people they were listening to as far as Paul and those speaking the Word of God was talking about stay away from these, from idol worship or whatever, and they couldn't make that connection in their heart, in their mind between the two. They they thought it would be wrong to eat meat, and Paul was saying, if that be the case, if these people be in your uh, perimeter, so to speak, and you think it's going to bother them, Leave the meat and just eat your vegetables or eat a salad. That's, that's the point he was making. But there was a big argument within the church. They had two schools of thought. Imagine that, a church fight. Anybody arguing within the context of the body of Christ. Since God breathed life into the church in Acts, there has been church fights since day one, actually. And here's the crazy part about it. In, in, in a sense, this is kind of irrelevant, but it's not. A lot of church fights are over goofy stuff on, like, what color of carpet we're going to use and on and on and on that have nothing to do with really building the kingdom. Paul's challenge was to get these two people on the same these two groups on the same page, actually. Frederick Godet, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, explains the challenge that Paul faced, and I quote, "...the solution of these questions bristled with difficulties." The one party held strongly to their liberty, the other not less seriously to their scruples. The apostle must avoid favoring either superstition in the latter or the libertinism in the former. He needed all his practical wisdom and all his love to trace a line of conduct on this subject, which would be clear and fitted to unite hearts instead of dividing them. Paul's message since today was, was unity. You've got to get beyond your differences, love one another, love others into the kingdom. That was the point. The biblical solution, Paul said, was complicated, so he spends chapters 8, 9, and 10 addressing it. Today I just want to look at 8, where Paul attempts to nail down the ideal of genuine love that it is willing to restrict its liberty. So he brings up a couple principles, and the first one is the principle of liberty. The Corinthians knew they were free in Christ, but they took this to an extreme way of thinking, saying, because rationalization is what I call it. Because they were free in Christ, that they could go on and, and live in sin. Didn't matter. That was, that was their mindset. Well, you know, God will forgive us, and we live in this, we're, we're living in grace, so I can just keep doing that. Well, Paul quickly straightened out that twisted thinking, reminding them of the guidelines that they already knew. They knew they had knowledge. Chapter 8 starts out, now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we have knowledge. Knowledge makes Arrogant, but love edifies. So, Paul states that every believer has this knowledge of of this God given window of reality in which we view life. And that's like every one of us here today. We have a worldview, it's a set of glasses, it's a set of lenses, how we view the world, and how we perceive the world, and how we react to the world. Paul knew that, and he told the Corinthians they, they had that. He's warning them against having a knowledge that's untempered by love. This kind of knowledge inflates our egos and makes it impossible for us to build others up because what happens, it becomes all about us and not about anybody else. To edify means to build others up. It's what we are to be about in the body of Christ. Knowledge blows up, but love builds up. Ralph Earl explains, the picture in verse 1 is a striking contrast intellectualism often inflates a person with pride. We can blow up a balloon in a minute or two and collapse in a second with a pinprick. So it is with self-important intellectuals, they can be deflated with a single remark. But building up with love is something else, just as one has to lay stone or, on stone or brick on brick in order to construct a solid building. So we must lay one loving deed on another if we would build a solid life that will last, end of quote. So that's the the point Paul is making, that knowledge without love tears down, and we are to be in the building up business. I don't have a lot of pet peeves. I can pretty much put up with pretty much everything, except one thing. I cannot stand arrogance. If there's anything that pushes my buttons, it it drives me up the wall. And and, and people that, that look down... On others and make them feel stupid. I, I can't stand that. When I was a, when I started the study course, uh, it was a five year program. It was uh, uh, every Thursday night for three or four hour a class, and you did that for five years, and then you pastored three years, and then they would ordain you. Then that's with. But but I went to college up north and, and finished college. But I'm not bragging about it. My wife did all my work. My wife should have the diploma with her name on it, but no, it's got my name on it, but uh, God bless her. I'll tell you what, she helped me a lot. But anyhow, we had this ministerial class, and this, this person that was teaching it wasn't a pastor, but I hate to say this, but it was a woman. No, no offense. I don't want to get in bad with the women because I love women. They're some of my favorite people. But anyhow, she thought she was the smartest woman in the world, actually. So, there was about eight of us in there, and none of us were like rocket scientists or anything. Actually, we were even lucky to be able to put our clothes on and drive there. But anyhow, here's what she did, and it really ticked me off. She said, now, everybody, get out a piece of paper and your pen, and I want you to write a paragraph. doesn't matter what it's about. Just write a paragraph. Well, at the end of that, she went back and she said, now, circle all with three-syllable words. And in essence, what she was saying: if you didn't use very many three-syllable words, you were pretty much an idiot. Oh, I, mean, well, I didn't tell her what I was thinking, but uh, <laughs> man, uh, stuff like that upsets me. It was the and it was the idea behind it. She wasn't there to help us. I think she was there to make us look goofy. But which is easy for me. Another time, uh, we were with a couple. And they wanted to go down to the quad cities and do the holodome thing with our kids. They were smaller, and these two people, they were kind of, in their own minds, elevated a little bit. So what they ter- did, they lured Diane and I into a game of trivial pursuit, and we smoked them. <laughs> it's one of the highlights of my life, actually. I-, I want that story told at my funeral. It was such a good story, so. They had college. They were they were brilliant, smart people. And here's a couple. Of, <laughs> I'm not going to say because I don't want to embarrass my wife. But anyhow, it's one of the biggest victories in, in my life. Do <laughs> you, you guys like arrogance? You know, you, I can't stand that. If you want to push my button... Write me some mail, and act, uh, like an anonymous letter, and act real arrogant in it, and it'll, it'll tick me off for a while, and then I'll have to ask for forgiveness and move on. I could tell other stories, but I, I don't want to dig myself any more of a hole, than I've already started here this morning. In verses 4 through 6, Paul tells them, they all know about idols. Therefore, concerning the eat of things, sacrifice to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. He's bringing him back to reality. Why worry about idols or meet idols? Because there's, no there's no such God. God's the only God. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is only one God, or the, but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Paul's logic is clear. Since idols are merely man's creation and there's only one God, eating meat to them wouldn't make any difference, actually. I I always find that interesting. I've not met too many, a few atheists. But they make such a deal of of fighting the God that they don't believe exists. It's, It's always interesting to me. Paul talks about the liberty we have in Christ, and then he brings up a more vital and important principle of our faith, which is the principle of love of love. He, he appeals not only to the Corinthians' knowledge and logic, but also to the responsibility to love weaker brothers, people that are new in the faith and don't maybe know as much as us or haven't been down the road as far as we have, that, that are ignorant as far as the scriptures and whatever. However, not all men have this knowledge, he said in verse 7, but some being accustomed to the idol now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. A lot of people didn't understand the meat issue. It wasn't immoral with an eye. It's amoral, which means it's morally neutral. It has no meaning in a sense. And then eating the meat would not affect their relationship to Christ in verse eight, Paul tells the Corinthians to put a lid on their liberty around these people. What he's saying: being aware of what's going on in your world. Verses nine to eleven, he says, "But take care lest this liberty of yours somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple. Will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is run." the brother for whose sake Christ died. We think of modern-day examples. You take a believer that is new, that has struggled with alcohol, maybe even went through AA, I don't know. They see us up at Patrick's pounding down a couple beers they're going to say, well, there's Eddie. He's the pastor. If, if he can do that, it'd be okay. It, it, you see, the, there's a point there that we really have to be, be sensitive to those around us. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul says, I have the liberty to do anything I want in Christ, but I choose not to. And that was his point. And he chose not to because he didn't want to make a, a weaker brother or sister stumble, actually. He emphasizes that knowledge can tear down, ruin, and stumble the unstable off their feet, but when tempered in love, it can edify. So what is to be our loving response? Paul answers firm in verse 13, Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? That I might not cause my brother to stumble. In a nutshell, Paul is saying that the extent of our love is determined by the attitude with which we retain our liberty. Even though today we don't have to battle the issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols, our culture has a lot of gray areas in it. I like black and white. I believe the Scripture is black and white, but this culture that man has created in which we live, there are tons of gray areas. That's why I always tell people to first and foremost do what Paul told us to do He says, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Every believer should do that. We and not try to work out somebody else's but our own. And as we work through that, the Holy Spirit, He he, he gives us great advice on how to live and what to do and what we can't do. What's your hot topic? That's the title of the message. What, What is that you face in life that you can exercise your Christian liberty? but it might offend somebody, or do you hold back and practice Jesus' agape love? I thought this was interesting. Here's five hot topics that, that face us as followers of Christ as we model for younger, weaker believers. George Barner Research lists five hot topics that affect Americans and those in the church as well, and one of these could be your hot topic Barnes said that 60% of Americans live in a state of noticeable and debilitating temptation to anxiety and worry and the fear and dysfunction that usually come with that. That might be your hot topic. 60% of Americans are often stuck in the habit of procrastination. It's a poor witness. Maybe that's your hot topic. 55% are overwhelmed to eat too much. Maybe that's your hot topic. 44% admit to overuse of electronics and social media to a detriment to their lives, becoming, it becomes an addiction. And maybe that's your hot topic. 41% of Americans say they are often tempted by laziness or by not working as hard as reasonably expected in their occupation. Maybe that's your hot topic. These are things that we might take for granted, but those are, I'll guarantee you those around you are watching, especially if you have... M- Made the point that you are a follower of Christ, and they expect a little something different out of you. Actually, that, that's what we sign on, up, sign on, sign up to. I guess when we come into the kingdom, in a sense, it's hard for us to grasp agape love—no strings attached, unconditional, saying regardless of what you do to me, I'm always going to love you in this capacity. I think it's easier for us to see see God be able to do that but but when he asks us to do that, that's a whole that's a whole different world. It's difficult for us to wrap our minds, many of us, around extreme prejudice and hatred which results in vicious violence, torture, and death to certain groups of people and ethnic groups. Yet Yet we have a very long list of these atrocities that have happened in our sordid history, and sadly, they're still happening today with that mosque shooting in New Zealand 49 dead, and then the one in the, in the synagogue in Pittsburgh here a while back, and then Charlottesville, and on and on and on. We see this, it's, it's pr- pretty much becoming a, 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 an occurrence that happens way too often. That's hatred, that's prejudice, too, more than that's off the charts, so to speak. Jesus stated, In that profound text, John 13, 34, let me give you a new command. Let me give you a new command that rises above all the others. In the same way I loved you, you love one another. Again, we can't put that picture together because Christ loved us so much that he died for us. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. In my mind, in this analogy, I I thought this, can you imagine a Nazi SS officer loving a Polish Jew? Remember Hitler's Nazi party was responsible for over 6 million Jewish deaths in the Holocaust. There is a story that was made into a movie about a Polish Jew, it's a true story. He was a pianist who hid from the Nazis during the occupation of Warsaw and Poland. Vladimir Spielmann was discovered by a Nazi officer, Wilm Husenfeld, who evidently was a believer. And we talk about oxymorons. That's about as oxymoron that you can get, that a Nazi could be a believer in Jesus Christ. Husenfeld kept Spielmann alive, bringing him food and warm clothes. We see in this clip a little bit of that humanity. Bitte, bitte. Was bedeutet die ganze Schießerei? Die Russen auf der anderen Flussseite. Ein paar Wochen werden sie wohl noch aushalten müssen, mehr nicht. That's, we'll probably never be faced with anything like that. I can't guarantee that, but it makes that verse to me come alive. That you will know my you're my disciples. By the way, that you love one another. Spielman survived and lived to be 88 years old. Hassenfeld died in the Soviet in Soviet captivity in 1952 and even though Spielman tried to find him and return the favor. God has given us tremendous freedom in Christ. But it's our responsibility is to be aware of our surroundings and if you're in a situation that your liberty is going to cause somebody to stumble or even make them leave the church, so to speak, we really got to be aware of that. I don't know what your hot topic is, but this morning, if, I think if we're all honest, we, we'd have to admit that we all, we all have one and in that freedom, and I know sometimes we say and we do things that we probably shouldn't do out in public, but I realize we're not perfect, but we can't keep using that excuse. I use it too much, you know. Father, you have given us great freedom in you. But yet with that that freedom comes a tremendous amount of responsibility. A lot of times we want the preacher, we want the other pastors in the church, we want the leadership to be the shining light. And I understand that. And I I wear that every day. And I understand that. Lord, you're talking to all of us. This passage of Scripture in the Corinthians, that's for everybody. You can't, we can't pick and choose who it's for. It's for all of us to live our lives as a shining example of followers of Jesus Christ, that your love might flow through us, reflect through us onto an unbelieving world, and even, even to, to, to weaker believers, Lord, that, that, that don't know the ropes yet, that they haven't understood. and Help us to be strong for them. Helps to be the example that they want to see in us. And I know it's not easy. I've decided, Father, some of the stuff I've been through in life, that being an obedient believer is the toughest thing that I will do on this earth. But therein lies the most blessing. Therein lies the most joy and satisfaction and purpose. And I thank you for that. I pray for these people that I love Lord, I pray that as you have spoken to us this morning that we respond in an appropriate manner. I ask all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.